you know, we have a like like if Adam were a guest on the show, his answer would just be like, "Duh, I like horror movies." <laughs> Thanks, man. Trevor. Why are you, you know, bagging on Adam? What's up with this well, relation? Well, Adam, you can stand that's for That's all he's got. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's such a crutch. Welcome, everybody, to episode 31 of Ghost Party Radio, an in-depth and very serious exploration into the world of genre film hosted by two small-time cowards. I'm your host, Trevor Dillon, and allow me to introduce my co-host, the biggest coward since Paul Reiser and Aliens, it's Adam Cervantes-Wagner. Game over, man. Okay, yeah, of course, you you pull out like the, the hackiest line from this movie right up top. Yeah, we got to get into it. I mean, I don't mean to say the line is hacky. I mean to say that only you would put, do the most obvious line from this movie. <laughs> I, I cannot wait to talk about just how many bars this movie has. Like, James Cameron, like, so underrated for putting so many amazing lines into just the cultural lexicon. Yeah, and there's one bar in the colony, too, that we get a nice shot of. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, do we have any listener reviews this week, Adam? Uh, we don't, but you know what? I do not think we're to blame, Trevor. Yes, so we were talking about this off mic. Uh, there's something suspicious going on, because I have at least one friend, and you have at least one friend, who's been trying to leave us reviews on iTunes, and they're not letting them go through. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, Tim Apple. <laughs> Tim Apple's to blame. Uh, if you're listening to the show, stream exclusively through Spotify until we can get this figured out. And thank you. You can't really leave any reviews on Spotify, unfortunately. But if you want to mail us, our P.O. box is available. Yeah, it honestly, it doesn't fix the problem in any way because people can't leave reviews on Spotify. So this boycott is not going to work in our favor at all. But um, Adam, forget about reviews because we have a huge, huge movie and huge episode and huge guest today. I'm asking you, please, on mic, Adam, don't blow this one this time. Yeah, good luck, me. <laughs> Oh, man, if you ruined this episode for me with this guest, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, speaking of the guest, uh, we've been waiting to have him on the show for a long time. Uh, my personal favorite programmer in the Los Angeles area, which means it's got to put him on the short list of best programmers in the world. Uh, we're talking about the uh, programmer and founder of Secret Movie Club. It's Craig Hamill. Welcome to the show, Craig. Thank you so much for being here. Man, Trevor, <laughs> I don't I didn't deserve that intro. Uh, that was very, very kind of you. Uh, it's wonderful to be here, and I'm super excited to talk aliens. Um, and I, I just have to, you know, return the compliment, but hopefully in a very just true and genuine way. I know everyone who's listening to this knows how awesome the Frida is in Orange County. Um, but I just want to say that from the moment that I met you outside the Vista attending a secret movie club event, you and everybody from the, the Frida has have been nothing but just supportive and about cinema and the vibe and the atmosphere that that you know I know you as was so striking to me because unfortunately in movies sometimes people can be catty and petty and competitive and uh, it's just I, I just want to thank you for that and uh, thank you for all the great stuff the Frida is doing and you and I were going through COVID together and I know touching base and checking in we both yeah. did drive-ins and it's an honor to be here and it's an honor to be here with Adam. 
Yeah, I was going to say, and Adam, <laughs> Adam, you're here too as well. Yeah, and I, I want to congratulate myself on uh, some programming I've been doing here at home. It's pretty good. Adam, so, particularly the movies you put in your queue last night, I thought were incredibly impressive. <laughs> Thank you so much, Craig. <laughs> he, just, he just sat there like the rest of us for two hours on Amazon Prime, just only adding movies to the queue. I mean, I know I do that all the time on Criterion Channel, where I'm just constantly adding to my library, and then I'm like, well, that's it for the night. Didn't even watch anything. I know it's almost purgatorial. You, you you do it, and then you like. I think the thing that embarrasses me is then you look at it months later, and you're like, "I've been looking forward to watching that movie. When's that going to happen?" Uh, Criterion Channel has has the best list uh, of anything that I know of because they have the leaving June thirtieth list. Oh the, yeah. The, the basically like if anything's in my library that's leaving soon, it really puts like. I watched um, uh, Sergio Carabucci's the, Mer- the Mercenary simply because it was leaving Criterion Channel, or uh, I watched uh, uh, Jimmy Can- Jimmy Conn's the uh, the Gambler, or um, even a David Mamet movie I'd never even heard of called uh, House of Games. Uh, what would only- you think of that one? I-, I thought you know that was I know I know we're here to talk about this mega movie Aliens, but this was an odd movie uh, House of Games. Uh, it- 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 so. Mostly, I love a con man movie and just having, uh, you know, it was a little transparent towards the end, but I still really enjoyed it. I really, really did. And I, I had no idea it existed before I watched it. Yeah, it's it, like you said, we're here to, we're here to talk about aliens and Mamet. <laughs> it, it, weirdly, it, it's sort of inside baseball, but Mamet could almost be its, it, his own podcast. I think I think the thing, the only thing I would say about Mamet is I always heard Mamet dialogue actually being as stylized as anything else. Like to me, right. it's as stylized as the umbrellas of Cherbourg where everybody just sings the whole time. And, right. uh, and so it, it, it's it, Mamet movies and the way he directs his actors are fascinating too. Cause it's almost like he doesn't want them to act. He just wants them to say the lines. Uh, so, it, it, but the, the, the Mamet movie I always found really interesting. And we'll talk about it another time is the second one with Joe Mantegna. I think it's called homicide. But yeah. it, it weirdly is about him struggling with his Jewish identity. And I'm, a, I'm half Catholic, half Jewish, which my team always rolls their eyes on because I seem to say that every time I get a chance. Uh, <laughs> but, but that second film uh, is really interesting to me because it, it's like Mamet, who you can tell maybe didn't, had, wasn't raised Orthodox or conservative or whatever, really struggling mm-hmm. with what it means to be American and secular and yet Jewish. And that one to me is the fascinating film. So, Craig, let's start here. Uh, we are a genre podcast, uh, so we ask all of our guests the same question. But if you had to pick one, what would you say is your favorite genre of cinema? You know, it, it, okay, I'm going to give you the direct answer. Uh, and this, and I don't mean this to sound like a Weasley or a monkey or a cl- whatever clever by half answer. It, but here it is, and I'll just get right to it. So really my answer is I love every genre. I'm obsessed with cinema, and I actually am also a filmmaker as well as a film programmer. And um, God willing, I actually would love to do something in every genre. I don't know if they would all be good. That being said, though, I I sort of came up with a genre because I I thought, okay, well, the only way to answer this question for Trevor is to look at my top films. And uh, weirdly, when I looked at my top 10, uh, they were, were, I don't know how to describe them other than sort of philosophical life movies. Uh, or experiment like movies that really cinematically get into the hard philosophical questions of life, by which I mean, um, I love Kurosawa's Seven Samurai. I love Renoir's Rules of the Game and Grand Illusion. I love Wong Kar Wai's Love Trilogy, Days of Being Wild, uh, t- uh, In the Mood for Love 2046. I love Satyajit Ray's um, Apu Trilogy. 
you know, Pather Panchali, Aperajito, and World of Apu. I love Stan Brackage's The Act of Seeing with One's Own Eyes, which is just him at a morgue for 30 minutes, silently filming autopsies. I love Palin Pressburger's um, Black Narcissus. I mm. love uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window, which is as close to genre there, because, you, you know, you could sort of suspense thriller. And I guess you right. could say Seven Samurai is like action adventure. Um, but when I looked at the, and then and then also in that top 10 uh, is 2001. So that's that's sci-fi. And then uh, Eight and a Half, uh, which Fellini and then uh, Milos Forman's Loves of a Blonde. Uh, and uh, so but when I looked at them in their totality, I thought, I think weirdly my favorite genre is movies that somehow get it truths of existence that maybe we don't love to grapple with. And yet they do them in such a beautiful experimental cinematic way that you're open to them. Maybe they come in through the side door on them. And I think that's a little bit of a miracle. So I kind of that's my invention of whatever that genre is. Yeah, I mean, um, mm-hmm. when I asked this question, um, a great answer, first of all. I mean, I love <laughs> yeah. that answer. And I love that you gave us a, a rundown of your top 10, which is great because when you mentioned it, I was like, oh, I, ho- I hope we get to hear this top 10. Um, I, know, I, thought, it, I thought that was fantastic. You named actually a few movies that I, I have not seen. I have not seen the Apu trilogy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, maybe one of my favorite movies of all time is uh, The Hero. Oh, that's an incredible film. Yeah, so good. But actually, you know, in, inside of your, your – I love that genre idea. I think my favorite from that genre might be um, – Three Colors Red would kind of touch oh, Yeah, Kislowski. It's so funny, Adam. So I think the idea of a top 10 is is problematic because I, I find you actually really get to know someone in their movie taste if you, you expand it out to 30 or 40. Right. So I have I have my top 37 right now. And uh, <laughs> in that is Kislowski's Decalogue. And nice. uh, I, wow. think, I think he absolutely goes up there. Ooh. Yeah, I, I, I was actually also expecting uh, to hear some Kozlowski in that top 10. But uh, um, you have a top 37. we got to bring you back on the show another time to just talk about all 37 <laughs> of those movies because I would really like to hear it. Just, Adam and I just listening to you listen, uh, list off your top 37 would be fantastic. Um, uh, so obviously we're talking about Creature Features this series. What's your history with Creature Features on film? Do you have any favorites of that genre? I do. Absolutely. And I love that, you know, I love that this is what we're talking about because cinema is cinema and they're masterpieces and everything. And, uh, you know, it's like, I know you guys have probably already done the Jaws episode, but, you know, in creature feature movies, there are philosophical life questions that get answered just as profoundly as there are in, you know, the Apu trilogy. Uh, And I love it when genre gets that in. Um, But to answer your question, the story I wanted to share that I don't think I've ever shared on anything, although it's it's just anecdotal, is I used to, uh, so when I was growing up, I grew up in the San Fernando Valley, and... uh, Almost my entire family was within a 10-mile radius, aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, and I thought everybody lived that way. I didn't realize that most people's families were sort of dispersed in the diaspora of the United States. And so I would go and hang with my uncle, who still lived with my grandparents at the time, and he would take me to go see movies. So Arachnophobia came out when I was a kid, and I remember we go to see Arachnophobia, which is directed by Frank Marshall, and it's got John Goodman as this exterminator, and Jeff Daniels is in it, and um, it's, you know, I remember it being a good movie, not not necessarily great, but the thing is I'm a super vivid dreamer and I used to have night terrors. And uh, what I remember very vividly was we, we go watch Arachnophobia and I think it was rated PG-13 and I was maybe seven or eight, maybe nine when I saw it. And that night I'm at my grandparents' house. And all I remember is my granddad over the bed and my uncle, and I guess I had been screaming for three minutes and they were there and I remember the dream I was having, which was of a huge spider grabbing me from under the bed and pulling me down. And then I woke up out of it 
And my granddad looked at my uncle and he was like, and my granddad was the sweetest Irish Papa, you know, just like teddy bear of a man. But I remember him like, just a rocking movie of all the dumb ideas. Don't take him to go see those things again. <laughs> and then he like, just sort of like went back to his bedroom with my grandmother. But that would be one of my first, I remember, uh, vivid memories of a creature feature that affected me. And then from there, I would probably say just real, real quickly, um, Obviously, Jaws is huge, huge, because I think Spielberg is an American master. And I get, you know, when I have my third martini, um, I get, I don't know why this happens, but whenever I get my third martini, I get really defensive of Spielberg because I went to film school and there were a lot of people who were a little dismissive of him. And I don't get that. I And I just always be like, when I have my third martini, you make any movie that has five minutes of anything as good as Jaws and Raiders and then you talk to me. That's That's how I get and then uh, I start you're, calling. You're speaking off. my language. You're, you're absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm sitting here with a big smile on my face. Adam's heard it many times. Like uh, people who are dismissed as a I, 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 I just can't stand for it. Mm-hmm. No, no. Company. In fact, it kind of infuriates. Um, it's funny you mentioned Jaws twice, right? Because I was, I was curious what movie you were going to bring on the show, and you, I don't think you knew that this episode would drop around July 4th, and I was a little bit terrified that you would pick Jaws. Because I don't know if I, I thought that if, was the obvious choice. So yeah, I, and when we, obviously we picked a movie at, at almost, almost as culturally big as Jaws. But um, I was terrified because I just was like, I don't think we're there yet, you know. And I, I was, Adam, how did you feel? What, what, what would you feel like? Obviously, with Craig would be the person to talk with Jaws about, obviously. But what, how would we have handled Jaws? You think? I thought it would have been well because uh, I know you're a big fan of the movie, Trevor. But I've only seen it like one time. Okay. Okay. And, and what are your overall impressions on Jaws? Do you think it's a movie that when you watch it the second time, you'll be like, oh my God, I get why everyone loves it. Or did you like it the first time? Yeah, I liked it the first time. I think it's one of those things where watching it again, I'm sure I'll just like it even more. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it, it really, I, I didn't quite come around on it until maybe 10 years ago. And I hate to be the guy who's like, yeah, my favorite movie is Jaws, but like it is, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it is my favorite movie. Like, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. And like, uh, fucking Jurassic Park's on the list, like very close to it too, you know. So yeah, big big Spielberg defender here for sure. Um, Adam, do you want to ask Craig the final question before we get into the movie? Yeah, Craig, as you know, uh, as a fan of movies, that creatures gotta eat. Um, Craig, what is your favorite movie snack? Oh man! Ooh, hit him with the hard hardball question. We got oh. you. You did. You, you did. Interestingly, I, I'm. <laughs> Man, that is a good one. I, 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 I could, I guess, I can only. We got to default to truth when you can't be clever. So, yeah. <laughs> um, or actually, and even when you are clever, you should still be defaulting to truth. Uh, you know, because I have kids now. Uh, now I watch movies a lot in thirty-minute chunks at lunch. Oh, wow. So really my favorite movie, right? Because when I get home, I got to help my wife. We got three kids. I can't be like, hey, babe, I'm just going to be over here watching a three-hour movie while you've been, you know, <laughs> helping all day. So yeah. I take over. We have dinner. I do the bath. I read the story. And then I got it. But uh, so really my snack is usually a PBJ, an apple, and banana chips. Uh, that I, I'm like Jeff Goldblum from Cronenberg's The Fly. I actually don't make – I have the same lunch every day like he wore the same suit. I love it. I never get tired of it. It's easy to make. So as I watch all my movies the last four years, uh, I'm almost always eating a PB&J, banana chips, and an apple. Uh, <laughs> a PB&J. So you, y- y'all do movies at the um, Million Dollar Theater in downtown LA. And of course, that's connected to Grand Central Market. 
I had the PB&J at Grand Central Market because I know it was like the big thing there to go grab like this, I don't know what it was like, $10 PB&J or whatever, but it had been a while since I'd had that and I was like, this is like hitting, like like PB&J is like a classic, classic sandwich, like it's a classic snack, wrong. so it's a great pick, it's a great pick. Wait, um, uh, Craig, I have a quick question that I've kind of been thinking about. Um, yeah. As a as like a, a big movie person yourself, how do you go about introducing like art house stuff to your kids as they grow up? That is such a so you know I've been thinking about that, and this is a again it, it's that weird thing as you you barrel down the river of life that the way you thought about how things were going to go when it was theoretical is totally different from the way it goes when it's <laughs> actual, um, right. and you're like oh, uh, and so. Right now, my, all my energy is just making sure that we're make, that that like my family's taken care of, that uh, my wife is supported. We just had our baby daughter, but this is on my mind because Craigie, um, our, our our oldest son, and just so people know, yes, my son and I have the same name, and I love that. And he, you know, I, we love to call each other Craig or Craigie, but he's actually named after my dad who passed when I was twenty three, who was also Craig. None of us a junior or a third. We all have different middle names. Um, but it's Craig, Craig, and Craig, and my dad was Craig. So he's named after his granddad. But um, to answer your question, Adam, weirdly, I already have, because when I would take over and babysit for Marta so she could go out with a friend or whatever, that was when uh, I'd be like, oh, snap, now I can watch a movie. Because interestingly, my wife is from El Salvador, and she does. She just, she just grew up in the Salvadorian Civil War, uh, she, I've always told this story. We went and saw Sicario and I felt my wife get really tense and I looked up. I think she was my girlfriend at the time. We weren't yet married. And she looked at me and she said, for you, this is entertainment. For me, I live this. And I remember being like, uh, we can go. And she was like, no, it's okay. But after that, my wife chooses movies like Minions or Despicable Me Too mm -hmm. or How to Be Single. And uh, I remember I, I, I didn't necessarily want to see those movies. But then I was like, I don't want to be a bigot. I don't want to be prejudiced. And, and mm -hmm. Marta picks her movies. So she has really introduced me in kind of that Sullivan's Travels way to why so many people around the world who are just dealing with horror, they want to see how to be single. They want an hour and a half of chilling. Like these movies allow them to decompress. Now, all that is a way of saying that when I'm with my wife and my kids, we're often watching The Croods. We're often watching, you know, something real easy and fun that, that everybody can watch and, and brings a lot of happiness. That being said, when Marta goes out with her friends, then I had Craigie in my arms. I think I have this on video because I make documentaries of my kids too. And I turned on, um, I'm pretty sure I did Shogun Assassin. <laughs> and I was like, listen, boy, you need to see this. So then he and I, he and I were watching, and I think he was like six months old. So I had Craigie in my arms, watch a little Shogun. And then just the, uh, a few months ago, my daughter, uh, Carmen, was congested, and I put her on my lap, and we watched Scorsese's After Hours because I'm obsessed with Ballhouse and Scorsese's collaboration. And I, I thought through, I was like, okay, wait, is there anything violent? Not really. Is there any, like, graphic sex nudity? No. Okay. This is good. So then we watched After Hours. Nice. I love yeah. that idea. Yeah, because I've been considering it, too, because, like, if I had kids, I'd want them to be cool as heck. <laughs> I mean, I just heard uh, Tarantino was saying that his his son watched you know his first movie recently, and uh, everyone was like, "What was it? Oh my gosh, what was it? Was it like a black exploitation?" He's like, "No, it was it was Despicable Me too." And these are just <laughs> movies I'm ready to be watching for the years to come. You know what I mean? And like, even he was commenting on like, if my son isn't into movies, then he's not into movies. You know what I mean? If he's mm -hmm. into 
baseball, then guess what? I get to now be into baseball. And that's something that I, you know, and I was like, wow, that's like a weirdly mature thing for, you know, 60 year old Quentin Tarantino to say, but um, yeah. yeah I, I, I mean, yeah. To, you know, it's, that's weird, Trevor, to, to, um, to tip my hat to what Tarantino said. Um, you know, it, the, the, I think he's he's absolutely right. Uh, the, I think the thing I don't want to be as a parent is um, my my uncle once told me he's a he's got a master's in, in child education. And he said, you want to be authoritative, but not authoritarian. He said there were like three kinds of parents, the authoritarian parent, the I think it's like the permissive parent. That's the parent who wants to be the best friend. Mm-hmm. And the authoritative parent, I'm sure there are others, the absent parent or the like totally irresponsible right. parent. But mm-hmm. um, he said, you want to be authoritative, but not authoritarian. And I think when you see your kids, you realize they're on their own journeys. And like, I wanted my son to be really into soccer, but he seems really into baseball. Right. So, okay, so we'll go to T-ball. And then my daughter, I thought, I thought my son was going to be really into the piano because I'm into the piano and he's not, but my daughter is into the piano. So you, you kind of, you got to let them tell you. But that being said, I'm sorry, I do want to shout out my son. He loves Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. He's pretty obsessed with it as a good movie. And I think it's a great movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, rules. And then there is some good overlap, too. I mean, like old original Pixar stuff is like good for everybody. Totally. Um, yeah, so I, I I didn't see this conversation going this way. I'm really enjoying it, but we do need to get to this <laughs> movie that we talked about today. Talking about um, parent-child relationships. Uh, this is from 1986, uh, of course, directed and written by James Cameron. Uh, it, on AMDB, there's 666,000 ratings, Adam. Ooh. Uh, Ooh. It has an 8.3 out of 10, which is very high. Uh, the film was about 57 years after surviving an apocalyptic attack aboard her space vessel by merciless space creatures. That's not true. Space creature. I don't know why it says creatures. Officer Ripley awakens from hypersleep and tries to warn anyone who will listen about the Predators. It's not quite the plot of this film, IMDb, but it's definitely the setup for it. Um, like I, I like I mentioned, uh, written by James Cameron, directed by James Cameron, starring Sigourney Weaver, Michael Bean, and I guess uh, Carrie Henn, who plays, of course, Newt. Um, as well as, as we know, Bill Paxton, Paul Reiser. And uh, the tagline, Adam, I know you wanted to take a shot at this. What do you think the tagline for Aliens is? In space, no one can hear you screams. <laughs> Very good. I knew you were going to make that joke. I was telling Adam off mic before the episode that I thought that this had a fantastic tagline. It's, this time it's war. And then he just said to me, is that better than the first one's tagline? And I was like, oh, no, it's not. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's, it's, that's, the, that's the overall question that we'll keep coming back to. Is this movie better than the first one? Is it better than the third one? We'll see. Craig, why did you pick Aliens for the Creature Feature series? Well, I was really honored that, that you gave me a choice. And I felt that was a great responsibility. And I just thought, you know, try to pick something. It's that weird thing, like in screenwriting, too, or in any good writing where um, you want to surprise, but but give people more than what they expected. Or so I thought. What are some creature features that wouldn't be the obvious? You, you know, and the the obvious ones that popped to my mind were like King Kong and Jaws, and um, you know, you could even go to Piranha or the Swarm. Or I mean, not that those are obvious, but you we could think about you know what animal consumed who when, and then it seems like they're always remaking Jaws in some form or another. But then I thought. Well, couldn't aliens be considered a creature feature? Uh, because, you know, the alien is a creature. And, yeah, it's sci- science fiction. But, you know, it, it's essentially a very primal lizard brain 
uh, thing that it that it's dealing with. And and then I know we talked about some others, but I love Aliens. It's my favorite James Cameron movie. I think it's probably the greatest action movie ever made. And I make that distinction. The first Alien, I probably look at more as a horror film, mm-hmm. kind of um, almost uh, you know ten people, and they're going to go one by one, and who's going to be left. Whereas I think that Aliens is very, it, it's, it's a different genre. Uh, but but I love it. I love Cameron. And it's funny, we were talking about um, Spielberg earlier. I, you know, I, 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 not to give another cliche, but never bet against James Cameron is just sort of the thing I've learned about James Cameron. And I, I just always think Cameron, his fundamentals, if you're talking about cinema fundamentals, are so solid. I, I'm really into the NBA. I, I'm Lakers for life. And I'm trying to think what player, I don't know, I don't know if it'd be Larry Bird or a superstar. It really would probably be like that player no one thinks to mention initially, like John Stockton or whatever. Like and then everyone's Tim, like, oh Tim yeah. Dunk, Tim Duncan or Tim something. Tim Duncan, there you go. James, thank you. you. That's it, Trevor. I think James Cameron's like the Tim Duncan of cinema, which is you're like, oh yeah, Tim Duncan led the Spurs to five rings, yeah. I think, or six. And yeah. you're like, and Tim Duncan never showboated. Although, I mean, we can get into that about James Cameron, but He's right. just like one of the best of all time. So anyway, I'll stop there. I, but don't you mean uh, Catherine Bigelow's ex-husband? <laughs> and <laughs> Linda Hamilton. And Gail Ann Hurds. I was going to say, and, and, the, and the producer of this, uh, one of the producers of this film as well. Um, um, actually, I, I, you know, Craig, I completely agree with you. I'm actually kind of excited for the Avatar sequels. You, I, we, you, I have this story, Adam, and I'm sorry, I'm Irish, so I got the talking disease and all. You, no, you guys no. just edit this brutally, no, but... It's podcasting, baby. Let's go. Let's do it. I, I want to give you your money's worth, Trevor. Um, but I, I learned a lesson. The reason I said never bet against James Cameron was exactly what you just said. So I remember very vividly before the first Avatar came out, I was I was at a dinner and I talked to a film school buddy and I was uh, kind of pissing on the Avatar trailer. And I, I was saying, man, it just looks like CGI. And why do I want to watch these blue things ride dragons? And like, I just think this is going to be the one that doesn't work. And my friend, um, and I'll, let me shout him out because he was totally right. David Hildebrand was like, Craig, has James Cameron ever made a bad movie? And I was like, no. And he was like, every time he does something super ambitious, has he ever not landed the plane? I was like, <laughs> no, that's right. He always says even the abyss is pretty dynamite. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I think Avatar is going to be pretty good. And then I went to go see Avatar in IMAX. I remember at the Howard Hughes uh, off the 405, whatever that place is in 3d and i was like this movie is amazing and totally solid you know it's not reinventing the wheel but for for what it is uh i had a blast those aliens riding the dragons was incredible those floating islands were incredible the ash in the sky was incredible even the bad guy was like super dope but i was like okay he was right don't bet against james cameron (laughs) i mean the cameron thing is like he's made two of the best sequels ever made aliens and terminator 2 and now he's going to come out with Avatar 2, and everyone's like, it's going to suck. I'm like, what do, like, track records not exist in your brain? <laughs> like, like you know what I mean? So um, I'm excited for it as well, Adam. Uh, I'm certainly very excited for Avatar 2 because mm-hmm. uh, Cameron knows his water, you know, with the Abyss and Titanic and stuff like that. And I heard they're going to the water. But um, I want to ask right up front, both of you, did you watch the director's cut of the film or mm-hmm. theatrical? Which one, or which one are we discussing today? So, uh, look, I hope you guys don't get mad at me too much. At first, I, start, I put this on because I've seen this movie plenty of times, uh, the last time being a double feature at the Frida. Mm-hmm. Um, but I put this on um, kind of in the background a little bit, and I just put it on. I found it for free on Amazon with commercials, um, and I was going through it, and about 30 minutes in, I'm like, 
all right, this movie rules. You know what? I got to sit down and watch this properly. So I stopped watching it and I put in the DVD that I have. And I think that must be the director's cut because I was suddenly seeing a bunch of new scenes that weren't in the cut originally. Awesome. Mm. Uh, Craig, uh, do you want to discuss the director's cut or the theatrical? I think I, I think we could probably bounce around uh, between the two, yeah. and I would just answer that I originally saw the theatrical, yeah. and then I saw the directors because I, I too have seen this movie a number of times, and I would I would say like a lot of things I almost wish there was some kind of intermediary cut because right. I actually think that a lot of the stuff that they left out should have been left out. But there's one sequence where the aliens are coming up the tunnel and the gun mags are awesome. running out so that good. I love. And I'm like, that should have stayed in. So anyway. Yeah. I mean, cool. Yeah. I, I think it's, yeah, where, where they, they, they just completely waste all of their bullets immediately. Like, they're just like the <laughs> raptors testing the fences in Jurassic Park where they're like, okay, well, we're out of bullets, you know. Um, she's supposed to be some kind of consultant. Apparently, she saw an alien once. <laughs> Whoopie fucking do. I, I want to discuss, I mean, how do we tackle aliens? You know, what are we going to bring new to the table? So I think a lot of people, obviously, who are listening to this show have seen aliens. So let's just kind of dive into it. I want to talk about the one moment in the director's cut that I think makes a big difference. And that's when Ripley is told that her daughter has died. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how you feel about this, uh, this scene. Uh, and I think that Newt, the character of Newt, is the one... Not for me. I, I like Newt, but I, I've read many, many people. The one weakness of this film to them is the Newt character, and I mean, you know how we know how David Fincher feels about it. Watching the opening scene of Alien Three, but um, <laughs> <laughs> terrible, terrible. Um, so uh, I think it's important. Uh, I think it's that, that's an important part. Learning that uh, Ripley's daughter uh, is dead when the movie picks up fifty-seven years later, because. It, it, you know, the first movie is literally uh, Ripley uh, saving the cat, right? Like, that's, like, literally what that first movie is. And then um, Jonesy stays on the ship this time, and then we go to the planet, and then she meets Newt. And we kind of are upgrading, for for lack of a better way of saying it, we're upgrading from saving the cat to saving the Newt. Um, and she makes some pretty wild decisions towards the end of the movie, putting many lives in danger to go back and get Newt and stuff like that. But I think the mother daughter thing works so much better in this regard. Do you guys agree with that? When we know that her daughter died? Absolutely. And I, 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 I didn't think it was uh, I didn't even realize that there was going to be sort of that plot line until I saw the director's cut scene. And then I was like, there is, how would this work otherwise? I feel like, yeah, I mean it, it, the, the, the theatrical cut, it works. We get it. We still like new and we understand that Ripley has an attachment to new, but just taking that little quick, what is it a three or four minute scene adds so 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 much now the stuff where we go to the colony with newt's family and stuff scary scene and all that but i didn't need any of that i like i didn't need to go in the colony before we got to the colony i I don't know how y'all feel about that yeah the the so it is interesting because if we really wanted to do a deep dive i'll just pick up with where you guys are saying I, i i i believe i agree with what you're you're saying i think the whole movie it's thematics are parents and children uh, because, of course, the final, the third act is another mother, and that's the, the mama alien. Right. And then Sigourney Weaver, like, torches her kids. So then, like, the big battle is mama versus mama. And mm-hmm. I think that the themes of matern- or par- being a parent, protecting your children, having lost a child, having a substitute child, or an orphan child. I think those do enrich the movies. And I think that Cameron actually is better than that than people give him credit for. Now, his thematics might be fairly simple. Right. But I but I but I mean, 
simple thematics work because they apply to everybody. Um, and I would agree with you. I think the scene where we learn that Ripley's lost her daughter should stay in. And I would also agree with you. I think cinematically, I was just uh, I was just reading a Stanley Kubrick quote that somebody posted on Twitter about how the least effective way to do anything is to say it directly. And so I think the great thing about Aliens as it existed theatrically is you see the aftermath of the alien attack. I don't think you need to see the before. Right. I think it's redundant. So it, it, I think sometimes with directors, it is good that other people force you to take stuff out right. because they, they remind you, you think the audience needs it, but they don't need it. And it's actually cinematically more interesting without it because then you're forcing the audience to participate in imagining what did happen. Yeah, exactly. I don't need that Aaron Sorkin West Wing scene of the colony people at all. Yeah, right. I, I did. I didn't need any of the stuff on the colony. I, I, Craig's right. I actually didn't. Even, I I didn't think about it. But the theatrical playing as them going to the colony, us never having seen the colony at all, and seeing just that it's been annihilated is is much much stronger. Um, so yeah, what we do here, Craig, is we kind of just bounce around and just talk about stuff we really like in the movie. Um, Adam, what would you say is your favorite element of Aliens? Well, first of all, Trevor, as you triggered a new segment on the show called "Who Dat Cat." <laughs> We're talking about Jonesy today, who's a tubby, cute little orange cat. I couldn't okay. find the name of the actor, but um, we just <laughs> so, wanna... go, hold, hold on, stop. You're, you're, you're introducing a new segment <laughs> That's right. for the listeners. It's called Who Dat Cat, a segment we've never played before. Right. And D um, During this episode, this big episode for this show. <laughs> exactly. Well, we're, we're, I don't know if we've gotten many uh, opportunities to talk about a cat lately. All right, let's do it. Creature um, feature. Yeah, so fantastic seeing Jonesy. It is it seems like a new actor from Alien, um, but I want to say that he, he pulled off a great range in this film. We get to see him hissing, we yep. get to see him cuddly, and we get to see him eating. Um, he's a true craftsman cat. Mm -hmm. The scene of his alcoholic rage was the, the, the surprise. It was beautiful, and uh, I, I think I was reading, you know, in his backstory, he brought that from real life. I, and he, I heard he was sort of like homaging Ray Milan from Billy Wilder's last weekend, which I was like, man, that is a <laughs> film literate cat. Hey, uh, uh, a, a Palm Dior winner, by the way. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so, something that we like to talk about on the show a lot. Not technically a Palm Dior winner because it wasn't called that yet. But um, um, but if my, my real answer is uh, the characters in this movie. I think James Cameron does a great job of, of bringing to life a lot of different characters. I mean, I know Bill Paxton is kind of like an obvious like hothead who doesn't realize what he's in for and then it really gets it but i think i like that character a lot and then my favorite relationship might be um vasquez and uh the guy with the scar because oh, we first get introduced to the scar guy and we're like oh is this going to be the villain what's going on and then we see that he's really friendly with vasquez they got like a little bit of uh, a relationship going maybe and i thought that was really sweet I like the relationship between uh, Vasquez and um, is it Gorman? Like uh, the, I like I like their hit their arc. You know what I mean? That that ends in the in the in the vents when they both hold onto the grenade. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Is Gorman the cowardly yeah, uh, yeah. squad leader? Yeah, like he like they're like doing the drop. I, I love the drop scene where they're going express elevator to hell. Um, and it's like, how many drops have you done? It's like, um, you know, uh, this is a two or, or whatever. He says like, is two, like one of them was simulated though, or something like that. Like basically we learned this is like his first real drop. Five. We're on express elevator to hell going down. Um, yeah, no, I love all the Marine stuff, man. Like, yeah. uh, like, uh, Sergeant, Op uh, Opone, uh, the absolute badasses is my favorite <laughs> line of the whole movie. 
and, um, and Sergeant Apone's uh, introduction is fantastic. I think about that scene all the time where he lifts his head out of cryo and puts a, cig- a cigar right in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. You got to give, like um, Craig was saying, Cameron is, uh, in so many words, kind of a black and white filmmaker in terms of like his thematics and stuff like that. But like just character moments and having this many characters. I know the movie's two and a half hours long, so he has time to do it, but we have an idea of who most of these Marines are before they go in and then literally 80% of them get knocked off the map in that one great scene, which again happens like my most recent viewing, we pulled out the big 40 footer at the drive-in and uh, we did a double feature of alien and aliens. And we put the director's cut and I was like looking at my watch because a, it was a long day and I was tired, but I, I kept being like, when are we going to see an alien? You know, like they definitely do the Jurassic Park Jaws thing where we don't see these aliens till absolutely one hour into this film. Like we have to wait so long until we see one. And, and then it, it's weird, Trevor, the I, real quick, and I'll, I'll pop right back out. But as somebody who, you know, I, and you, you watch tons of movies, Adam watches tons of movies. I've noticed that there's this unspoken rule of many great movies where if it's a martial arts movie, actually the first big fight can't happen till the midpoint. And if it's a monster movie or a creature feature, you really don't want to reveal too much of your monster at all until the right. midpoint of the movie. And it seems to be almost an unspoken, understood cinematic rule. And it's interesting because you do have other movies like like um, that have oh, everything has to have that big opening scene. If it's an action right. movie or even something like Jaws that has like the horrible scene of the lady getting pulled under and stuff like that. But we don't see – I mean that's, that's just setting up stakes, right? That's so important. I think a movie that does setting up stakes – better than a lot of other movies is like i mentioned earlier Catherine bigelow's the hurt locker where in like the opening scene i think they're defusing a bomb and it's i think it's guy pierce and you're like oh shit guy pierce is in this movie i didn't know that and he gets blown up in the first scene you're like oh <laughs> so every time they're defusing a bomb throughout the movie and that's not spoilers this is the first like five minutes of that movie though every time that they're defusing a bomb throughout the movie you're like uh-oh are we gonna have another situation like with guy pierce in the opening scene um but yeah no this this movie just simply opens with like like adam said they just come out of cryo right up top right that's a i was talking about it in the previous episode but i usually hate the the refusal of the call thing yeah. thing and screenplays and whatnot but this is probably the best version of it because we're right there with her like we don't want her to go back we know right. it's going to be happening and i thought that was such a strength of this film yeah, I mean, she should be refu- she should be refusing <laughs> yeah, that call one hundred percent, and she's lied to, of course, um, by the uh, some other stuff in this first act that I love is just her establishing that she can use the loader, the yellow loader thing is mm-hmm. great. How she impresses them, which I think it's funny that um, if she's been asleep for fifty seven years, I think it's funny that loader um, technology hasn't increased at all in fifty seven <laughs> years. Um, but when you think about it, like like the, like these caterpillar big uh, you know tractors that we see around yeah. all the time, that shit hasn't changed. That the, you know that that much in the past fifty years probably so. Yeah, but uh, why I, haven't I, we gotten the loaders? <laughs> that's a good question. I will, uh, and by the way, the way they did those loaders with the, the they literally like I, I'm you know we'll do some half-assed internet research throughout this. I'm sure that we read on IMDb, but I, I remember watching the DVD extras how. As a kid, I just you just never pick it up that like those yellow loader things are literally like a guy's in a suit behind uh behind Sigourney Weaver moving with her like it's incredible and it huh. looks fantastic. Um, you just assume like, oh, they built a loader and it works and blah, blah. It's like, no, that's not how that shit works. It's not ever how that stuff works. But um, it's just little simple things like that. And you know, and he, he sets up all the dominoes. And then in the third act, he just knocks them all down. Um, like I said, Craig, we do jump around a lot here. But I, I have a note no, here. No, let's do it. I love it. 
Uh, I have a note here that a lot of times when watching movies, like I just watched this uh, the new Josh Rubin movie, Werewolves Within, which I really had a great time with. I, I really enjoyed it. It was exactly what I wanted. But there was a moment towards the end where I felt like the movie could have ended, and then it would have been totally fine, and then it kept going, and it was fine. You know, the, end, the last couple scenes were, were fine and all of that, but I watch movies a lot of times, and I see where they absolutely could end thematically, and it, the movie would work dramatically, and the movie would be 10 minutes shorter, and almost always that final 10 minutes goes off a cliff. Mm-hmm. Aliens is one of the very few exceptions where – like they get to the ship right and then she's like no i have to go back for a newt and you're like oh you know oh my gosh no now we now we have a chance for this movie to get to get uh to get bad you know like it's gonna no every like it's almost like he adds a fourth and thick fifth act to this movie and somehow miraculously they're awesome like they're they're so good the movie keeps going and you're like okay going to get newt and meeting the queen that rules the mm-hmm. queen coming up out of the thing or taking the elevator that rules oh no they're safe now nope the queen is there and we get the loader moment that rules and then it's like getting sucked out into the hyperspace thing um i just can't believe that he's one of the only filmmakers who gets away with being like i'm gonna add like way too much to the end of this movie and it's all still gonna work i was just gonna say because he it feels like he knows what's iconic or what will be iconic and so like all right, I'm going to have a fist fight loader versus queen alien. I'm going to throw that in there. It's not just like an easy run of the mill, like, oh, she's on the ship and they're still hiding and shooting at him. Yeah, you know, the I signed up for this year-long masterclass subscription because I wanted to do the masterclasses with Martin Scorsese and David Lynch. And then I ended up doing a few others. One of my favorites being Gary Kasparov's chess thing, even though I still suck at chess. And um, Cameron, and I thought, okay, that's it. I don't have time to do this anymore. And then Cameron just came out with a masterclass and I was like, well, okay, got to do it. So I did Cameron's masterclass and he said this thing that I loved and you guys have, have been alluding to it, which is that for a long time in screenwriting, people talk about three acts. And I've actually, I've always rebelled against it, maybe because I'm, I just, I'm contrarian by nature and I've just never liked it. And, but, but I also felt like there was a reason why I was rebelling against it. And I couldn't figure out exactly why that was other than I thought, it was reductive and not necessarily yielding the best screenplays. Um, And it was subconscious. But Cameron came right out and he said, yes, it's helpful to know the three act structure, but actually most of my movies are four acts or five acts, just what you guys were saying. And I am a huge Shakespeare fan and uh, Shakespeare stuff is five acts. And uh, you can, when you think of it that way, it actually is a different way of thinking. And, And I'll just kind of shut up in a moment, but one of my favorite recent movies that's clearly four or five acts is the Softy mm-hmm. Brothers Uncut Gems. Oh, and nice. the, th- the thing that's so fascinating when you watch that movie is technically it could end with uh, Adam Sandler and Kevin Garnett and he's getting the money and either he gives it to Eric Bogosian or he doesn't. But right. then suddenly he makes this bet, which is great. And he hands yeah. it to he hands it to his mistress and suddenly there's a whole nother act of the movie. Yep. <laughs> You're like, yep. wait, we're, we're going for another 20. What the, what is he doing? Uh, he, he, and, and that fourth act, if that's what it is, or fifth act, it makes the movie perfect. And I would yeah. just say that, that Cameron also said, to your point, Trevor, that one of the things he hates is everybody saying that things have to have a reason. And but this is what he meant, because, because I love the way he explained it, because this is how I feel too. He said, you know, sometimes if you want to see something, maybe you don't understand right away why you wanted to see it. But if it mm-hmm. feels right, do it. And and people who want you to overanalyze or have to overexplain, 
be wary of that as long as you really fundamentally are going to go to the mat. And so he talked about the loader thing where he said, like, I, I felt like I set it up kind of clunkily, but I knew I wanted to see Sigourney Weaver in that loader battle it out with the mama alien. And I figured everybody would want to see that, too. And, you know, and then I think he said, you know, only over time did I realize this was mother versus mother and maybe the themes of how parental strength can make you bigger than you are. And it all tied into the script. But he said, I didn't know that at the beginning. I just wanted to see this loader fight with a mama alien. And I think there's something to be said about when you're creating. It's not that you just put in visual pornography because there are a lot of directors that do that. And I forget their movies right away. But it's that if something feels right to you, but it's on a much more profound subconscious level and you can't explain it to people, I think you're okay to be like, I don't know why, but the movie's got to have a fourth act and Adam Sandler's got to make this bet. Or the movie's got to have a fourth act and Sigourney Weaver's got to fight the mama alien in a loader and you just got to, you know, stand by your guns. Yeah, uncut gems and aliens. That now we're now we're talking. I mean, like like I just said, I I've been watching like House of Games and The Gambler and stuff like that. So yeah, uncut gems has been on top of my mind right now. Um, but I don't think he sets it up clunkily. By the way, I, it's funny he says that. Um, but I, I think that in the beginning we see her kind of. I, I feel like she's doing it to show how capable she is to these Marines. Not that she has anything to prove, mm-hmm. but you know, it's it, then we have the apon like smiling and laughing and being like, all right, like she she's she's one of us. She's she's great or whatever. Yeah, it's and then like two hours of the movie pass and you forget about all that you completely forgot about the loader and then when she comes up with the loader you're like yes what a great set of payoff <laughs> like a movie to have that much patience is so great and then of course like maybe the most iconic line of the movie get away from her you bitch uh, there's yeah I, nothing better i mean that is pure cinema like get away from her you bitch i'm I, I i hate to say this out loud but when i was at the drive-in i'm not in i'm not in my car i'm running the event or whatever the only time I pulled out my phone to take a video of the screen was the get away from where you bitch moment. So <laughs> the the fact that Cameron is thinking in his brain, like, I mean, I don't know. I just wanted to see your fight. You know, it's like, okay, yes, I love that idea of the way that you put that together. And then you, you nailed it, buddy. You did a great job. So I think you can tell that James Cameron has like a nice flair for knowing what an audience wants to see. And especially yeah. in that scene oh, totally. where that like we take our time like the garage door opens slowly and from the mist emerges uh ripley in the suit and it's very slow and quiet and then she says the line like he's he's just like lathering in it he's really enjoying it because he knows people are going to enjoy it well yeah craig craig said that he yeah he he's definitely not like the showiest filmmaker but He's a great mix of commercialism and somebody who uh, formally like he definitely knows what he's doing as a filmmaker, but he's also giving the audience like like like, you know, Terminator 2, like aliens, like this is the type of shit that like I want to watch. You know what I mean? Um, So, yeah, that's why he's ascended to, you know, Spielberg levels of success. And, uh, you know, he makes way less movies and good for him for that. But um, let's talk about Paul Reiser for a moment. Uh, This casting, uh, uh, Craig you probably could give us a little more context on, on Paul Reiser and why that's an interesting bit of casting in this kind of reminds me of Albert Brooks in drive or something like that. Oh yeah, totally. That's a great call. Um, the, you know, it, you could almost do a pod on when somebody really brilliantly casts uh, an actor against type uh, and, or finds a way to use their persona in a really fascinating way that surprises you. I mean, this is totally a different thing, but uh, we just did Magnolia. And I think and I think a year ago we showed Tropic Thunder. And sometimes I think when Tom Cruise plays against type, 
um, it, you're almost like, oh, he has a different gear. He has a different speed. Mm -hmm. um, and you're like, man, his misogynist in Magnolia is crazy. And, you know, when he plays Les Grossman in, um, in Tropic Thunder, he legitimately funny, I think. Probably yeah. maybe one of the funniest parts of that movie. Um, For sure. And uh, the, but, but with Paul Reiser, I think there's also that great thing that sci-fi movies, and I think this is a strength of theirs. This is, and I love sci-fi. We were talking about genre at the beginning. And I mean, I, <laughs> I don't have too many sci-fi ideas. Weirdly, I tend to have more horror ideas when I get genre than sci-fi. Um, but, but when I get a sci-fi idea, I, I cherish it. Um, but cause I love that genre. Uh, I think aliens is very much an eighties movie. And I yeah. was born in 1977. And so I'm 43 now, almost about 44. And I was, a, I was a kid in Reagan's America, not really political at all. And half my family's Republican, half my family was Democrat, but even coming up in the eighties as a little kid, you were aware that there was a debate happening in the country between material success and uh, business success and the stock market uh, and, and what are real American values. And a lot of people were afraid that American values of family and hard work and um, you know the, the depression values, gritting it out, resourcefulness, thriftiness, they were getting replaced by cocaine and big business and, and they were getting replaced by the people who were seemingly espousing the old values, but they were hollowing out the old values and putting in the new values. And I think that Paul Reiser, um, and I'm just riffing here, maybe this is all BS, but uh, when, you know, Paul Reiser had been in Diner, I believe, and uh, he had been in a few things. Um, he wasn't yet in the sitcoms or Mad About You, but he was definitely, I think, known already as sort of comic relief. I think he's really interesting casting mm -hmm. because uh, he comes on and he represents that slick, 80s marketing guy who is kind of selling you a bill of goods um and but you like him he's likable and you're really struggling with man this guy's funny he's likable he's self-deprecating a lot of what he's saying makes sense to me and yet i don't trust him somehow and i think there was that debate in the 80s in america about how things were getting sold to us uh and it was almost a critique and again i don't mean to get too high highfalutin or, or whatever but you know, it was this Madison Avenue madman type of guy the, or gal, the ad person who doesn't really care what they're selling. They're just figuring out how to sell it to you. Right. And I think that Riser in that movie, you can see he's just trying to figure out how to get Ripley to go. He, you know, it's like, I'll just tell her because you, as you as the movie goes on, you do discover he is, for all intents and purposes, the villain of the film. The aliens aren't even the villain of the film. He's the villain right. of the film. And, well, yeah, there's the line in there that it's like um, uh, you don't see them fucking each other over for, for a paycheck or something. I can't remember the line. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think that movies like Alien specifically, Aliens and um, another movie I love is uh, Verhoeven's Starship Troopers. Uh, I, I think that both those pictures make a very clear point that this is just an extraterrestrial species that happens to be out there in the universe and we just shouldn't be effing with them. But right. that doesn't make them evil, per se. It's it's the human decision and the hubris that we can somehow make money out of this. That's what's evil. Yeah. It's it's incredible. You keep bringing up all these reference, reference points for me because uh, Adam probably knows this. But we're doing Verhoeven Month at the Frida uh, uh, in July. Yeah, baby. I, I can't wait for Starship Troopers because he has a new movie coming out of Cannes. So, you know, unless he, uh, unless he oh, says something. Oh, have you seen the trailer for it? 
I have, I have. I, I'm a little terrified about him maybe saying <laughs> something stupid at the uh, press conferences and for me having to, having to cancel the rest of my Verhoeven month. But uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, you mean like yeah. Lars von Trier style? Yeah, I don't want him to pull <laughs> Lars von Trier. But um, yeah, I mean, it's really funny that you, you bring up like the bugs that they keep calling. They actually call the colonists in this movie bugs. Like, oh, we're all going on a bug hunt or whatever. Uh, it's, you know, that's it's Starship Troopers. They call the, the aliens bugs. And you're just like, at, by the end of Starship Troopers, you're like, wait, who are the good guys? Who are the bad? You know what I mean? Like, I, that's why I love that movie. You're like, were these bugs just kind of like were living on their planet? You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. um, anyways, we'll get that to that in Sympathetic Monsters. But a few more things here before we move on to the ratings, because when we move on to the ratings, we can kill, obviously keep talking about the movie through the lens of our stupid arbitrary rating system. But uh, okay, last thing real quick. Uh, we'll just kind of go through um, favorite sequence from the movie. Uh, I'll start off um, the first one of my very first early movie memories at all was watching on television um, Aliens. And we, my family obviously turned the channel and cut into the scene where um, Riser puts the face hugger into the room <laughs> with Newt and Sigourney Weaver. Like the scariest <laughs> scene of the movie. It's absolutely terrifying. And that scarred me for life. And uh, watching it now, what a what a what an incredibly tense sequence. I mean, having obviously known that these two characters, quote unquote, make it to Alien Three and stuff like that, you know, nothing's bad is going to happen to them. But um, that's really where you get like the whole reveal of the Riser character just being a total piece of shit and stuff right. like that. And I, I, I love that sequence. I think it's it, that's like the little mini horror movie within the action horror movie for me. Yeah, what I like about that sequence is like it specifically it captures perfectly what it's like. Um, to have a spider in your house. Yeah, arachnophobia, speaking of which. Yeah, and dealing with that and like looking around, where is it going to be? And then my other my other favorite, um, great use of rear projection here when the uh, the ship is coming to pick them up and then oh, the, yeah. it gets attacked and then they're all running away and then the rear projection. I think it still looks incredible. And then you get the awesome game over, man, game over line. Uh, those, are, those are two sequences that this time around really stood out to me um, uh, above some of the more obvious sequences. But Adam, do you have like a, a standout sequence? Hmm. Um, I think I think <clears throat> the airdrop sequence, like getting into the ship and everything, is really yeah. good. I like the energy of this building there, and then I love the uh, communication between Ripley and the Mama Alien um, when she's down there with all the eggs and she throws the fire. You yeah. know, and the Mama's understanding what she means. I really like that kind of thing. And that airdrop sequence uh, brings up again something we haven't even talked about because this movie is so sprawling and so good. There's so many amazing little things in it, but. Uh, the Michael Bean character, um, Hicks, yeah, Hudson yeah. Hicks. I'm no, I'm Hicks. That's Hudson, everybody. Yeah, um, the uh, how he's asleep during the airdrop that always cracks me up. I love <laughs> yeah. that. It's just like such a perfect character moment for him. That's good. Well, so again, I'm gonna I'm gonna come in through the left door only to try to make this a little more interesting. I I, I think the thing about Aliens is. I'm obsessed with a certain kind of movie that I would love to make that I think is very hard to make. And and I would cite like Hitchcock's 39 Steps, Spielberg's Raiders of the Lost Ark, Mm -hmm. uh, even um, Honor Majesty's Secret Service or From Russia with Love, James Bond, and here Aliens. And and, and that's the kind of movie where, or or Mad Max Fury Road's a perfect example you were just talking about a moment ago, where it's actually sequence upon sequence upon sequence upon sequence and, uh, you know, most filmmakers would die to have a good beginning, a good middle and a good end. Mm-hmm. And then they'll just fill in, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll do their best. I mean, any of us. But to watch Aliens where each sequence tops the sequence before it and somehow ratchets up the tension yeah. and you're like, oh, now what? Huh? Now what? 
what now and then you're like no way now there's a queen what <laughs> um i just think uh i think that that you know and 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 cameron has talked about his and i think there's something to this about how to make a great movie you have to have at least five to seven great sequences it yeah. almost doesn't matter how you link them you got to figure out how to link them but they've you've got to have five to seven or eight but when you get a movie like raiders i always point out from the moment they throw marion into the well of souls you get Marion and Indy in the Well of Souls, dynamite. You get them fighting around that plane, dynamite. You get the desert chase sequence, dynamite. And you're just like, what, what, what? And it's just, I, like, I slap my head. And I think in Aliens, uh, you just, it, it, it starts to become this thing of, well, wait, when are they going to slow the movie down? Right. Because usually movie makers, um, and I think this would be any of us, you have to be a master to be able to do this. And that's why I think only Hitchcock and Cameron and Spielberg you know, really, and then there are others, but they're the first three that jumped to my mind, um, are, are just sort of peerless in this. You somehow have to have variation and contrast even as you're not letting it out. And in this movie, somehow the story keeps getting developed and the tension keeps getting ratcheted, but you just get like, it's like being able to eat cake after cake after cake after cake. I don't know how they do it. I'm obsessed with it. I'd love to make a movie like it one day. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it's it's just uh, yeah. The other way, like we had mentioned, Mad Max Fury Road is the same is the same way. I have of course just saw that at, on thirty five millimeter at, at Secret Movie Club at the Million Dollar Theater, and it just it's just like sequence after sequence after sequence, and somehow through music and editing and everything, it just completely keeps getting better and better and better. Like you mentioned, uh, yeah, that's incredible. There is that like 40 minute stretch, both in Raiders of the Lost Ark and aliens towards the end where it, yeah, it just is unrelenting the whole time. But, uh, we do have to, we do have to, we have to wait, move wait, to the categories. I got one yeah. more sequence or one more okay. new segment to introduce to the show uh, here. Go, all right. Yes. Two <laughs> brand new segments on, on the, uh, on the aliens episode. This one's called explain that joke. Uh, and this goes back to, um, when they're doing the rundown, and Ripley's kind of telling the crew about the aliens for the first time. Yep. And uh, Bill Paxton's characters is like, to Vasquez. Uh, right, right. Somebody said alien. She thought they said illegal alien and signed up. Fuck you, man. So how exactly does that joke work? Because is, <laughs> is he saying that she's she doesn't like illegal aliens and she wants to kill them? Yeah, that you're right. I never thought. I, I mean, it's. I mean, I, I in the. I don't know. Are you bagging on Cameron, or do you think that he's smart enough to give Bill Paxton's character a dumb joke like that? That doesn't make any sense. Uh, I don't. I don't even want to get meta with it. I want to stay in the realm of the movie here. No, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> okay, because you, you know, then it begs the question: really, who is the real monster, the xenomorph, or the xenophobic? Uh, okay, so uh, we got to move to the categories, and we'll go through this quick because. Um, it's going to be a little tricky with this particular movie, but uh, Craig, basically in the introduction to this series, Creature Feature, we picked five uh, categories that we thought would make for uh, the, not the best Creature Feature, essentially, but like the most the most Creature Feature, thing that, that, that fit the definition the best. So one through ten, we'll go through these. You'll start, and then Adam goes, and then I clean up. But um, one through ten, how cool are the monster's origins in Aliens? Oh, interesting. Um, I, I'll go nine. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. we can we can pull from Alien here, right? Because like basically, Alien shows the origins. Or I mean, can we even pull from the Prometheus movies here? Like like the, no, the origins. Prometheus. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you Sorry. know, it's it's interesting. You and I have a lot of the same opinions. <laughs> um, I'm definitely Adam. You're a big Prometheus guy, huh? 
no, I've only seen it the one time, but I remember it uh, being beautiful looking. God, yeah, it's a great looking movie. It has uh, amazing effects, but I, 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 di- I physically disliked that film. I got like a big stomach ache in it because I was <laughs> being so upset by it. But uh, yeah, uh, I, I'm I'm with you there, Craig. The 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 origin of these monsters has been, you know, they've made so many movies about them. Uh, I, by default, I got to go at least an eight here, Adam. Uh, I'm going to give it a 10. I've always loved the idea of, uh, I thought it was really clever the way that the evolution of this creature takes place from egg to face hugger to breeding inside of another creature. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, I mean, I it's just, just the little um, impregnation, disgusting monster of the of the uh, face hugger is, is just so clever. And then obviously the bursting through the chest, which we see here uh, a bunch of times used very well in the... Um, the dream sequence in the beginning is the dream sequence exclusive to the director's cut where she thinks that it's bursting out of her chest no okay yeah Uh, that doesn't seem like something they would cut i don't even know why i asked that all right craig um (laughs) this is okay now i will say this is a this is an adam category he (laughs) thought that he thought that would would make a good creature feature and i challenged him on this and he stood by it so i call him out every episode How dumb slash silly are the human characters in the movie Aliens? And he thinks that this makes a good creature feature. Oh, it's a good creature feature if they are dumb? If they are dumb. So, And then I came out and said, like, what about Jaws? Jaws is a great creature feature and the characters are not dumb. They're fleshed out. Like, this movie, but you know, let's let's talk about it. This movie does have some silly, dumb characters in it for sure. If you, if it you does, look but at them. yeah, my answer would just be, I mean, I, the, I think to Adam's point, but also to your point, I think like in life, there's a whole spectrum of intelligence here with with Mm -hmm. Ripley, Sigourney Weaver being the experienced, uh, you know, voice of reason. And then everybody else for their own reasons, um, having different levels of not being very smart. And then I think the Michael Bean character who you referenced before, he has also been in battle enough to be humble. Mm -hmm. And so I think like in life. Uh, when you're in a group, and I, this is what I would maybe put to you and Adam is, I think what's more challenging is when you need to, when you're in a crisis situation with a group, you have to convince the group. Uh, you can't, you know, it, it's not just you. And if you need people, you got to be like, look, this, this has to be our priorities. And you've got to right. play this game of, I got to speak your language, your language, your language, and your language, even if I think you guys are idiots, because uh, I've got to convince you to buy in and help us, you know, get the radio back on and call the ship and prioritize this way or this way. So I think Aliens does a great job of presenting a group with varying levels, uh, and I love it for that reason. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I have to give this category a four simply because there are some dumb, quote unquote, dumb slash silly characters. But for the most part, I think that these are fairly, you know, you know, I, I don't want to say smart, but well Competent. put together. Yes, fleshed out characters. Uh, to to oh, give a, uh, to give a. Very... I guess yeah, I'd have to give it a low rating too. If it's how dumb are they? I, I actually yeah. think most of the characters are fairly bright. Right. I, so yeah. I guess I'd go. I go. Yeah, I go four. Yeah, well. I, I I'll give a very rare defense to Adam here in the case that he probably didn't think we were going to discuss a movie as quote unquote good as Aliens in this series. <laughs> right. I'd give it a four also because you know I mean sometimes they fall out of these categories, but yeah, every everyone they're either competent or they're good. Or, or they're smart, um, or even um, they're just evil smart. So there you go. Yeah, like yeah. Riser. Exactly. Or exactly. Ian Holm. Yeah. Um, it, you'll see where this one was coming from. But uh, category number three, uh, how sympathetic are the monsters in this movie? <laughs> uh, uh, you know, that's actually, I would actually give it a six. Mm-hmm. And I would say until the mama, until Mama Queen 
you know, definitely not really. Uh, in fact, I, but when Mama comes, Cameron throws you a curveball because right. you're like, oh yeah, they're a they're a race too, you know. And it's like, you know, we slaughter cows <laughs> so we can eat and lead them to their deaths in a horrible way. So th there's this weird thing where you're like, these aliens are just doing what they know how to do, which is make babies and perpetuate their race. Yeah, I, I had a feeling that we were going to go with that angle on this question. And it, it's like when she pulls out the flamethrower and just flames all those eggs, <laughs> I'm like, what am I – how am I supposed to be feeling right now? Right. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I'm like – I get why she's doing it and it's smart. And she – I mean she hates these xenomorphs. You know, like I, I get why she'd want to wipe them out. I'm going to go – I'm going to go with three here. Um, overall, they are just like murdering machines and I don't find them entirely sympathetic. But, you know, when, when you read this question, Adam, I think your mind goes to, oh, zero. I mean, they're, they're horribly scary creatures, but, uh, Craig's right. The, the curveball that Cameron throws in there makes it really interesting and it makes you kind of pause and think a little bit. I'm giving it a three. Dude, I'm going to give it an eight. I think what? especially because of that scene, I think they're extremely sympathetic because huh. Ripley makes a pact with them. And they're like, okay, and we understand. It. We want to survive as well, you know? And then she attacks them in that in that scene. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. All right. I did not think you were going to go that way. And so <laughs> I'm the one who gave it the lowest score there. Good, good, yeah. good. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I hate this movie, clearly. Yeah. Uh, uh, category number four. How strong uh, – this will be fun. How strong of a metaphor are the, are the aliens in this movie? Let's talk yeah. metaphors if we, if, if we can find any here. That's a tough one. Well, you know – there is, uh, it, I do think there's a bit of a metaphor, and I don't want to stretch it because I actually hate when people overread things. Yeah, I, I, I've always, um, for some reason, instinctually rebelled against that. I don't like people, although I think movies can be anything, and and I, I love when people have their own takes. I, I, I really want to say this carefully. I, I think what's great about cinema is it becomes this alchemical participation with the audience and the 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 film. Yeah. That being said, and just to get right to the heart of your question. I think there is a bit of a metaphor about human colonialism and imperialism in this film. Yeah. Uh, and, and this notion of somehow thinking we can go anywhere and uh, terraform, because I think that's what they're doing. They're terraforming the planet. Yep. Um, and, and impose what we think is the way to be on an indigenous race or species, and then we get indignant when they fight back. This is uh, this is themes that he deals with, obviously, in Avatar as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. So, so, I mean, you're not. I don't think you're stretching. I think there's definitely, definitely something here. Um, Absolutely. If you had to give it an arbitrary one through ten, what would you give it? Uh, you know, I give it a uh, like. This is I give it a five. Five. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm I'm right down the middle with you there. There is a metaphor here, um, but just like the thing with like not knowing where Cameron stands politically, if you're not paying attention, you're just watching a bug hunt movie. You know what I mean? You're watching a, <laughs> uh, uh, which is why I love it. I mean, it works on both levels. It works as like, like he's clearly a, a smart dude. Took a lot of time with this screenplay. Like we mentioned, there's a million amazing lines in this movie, but the movie has something to say. So I'm going with a five. Yeah. I think I'll, I'll probably give it a six because I do like that that idea that it is trying to say something pretty hard. And, and also in, in all of the alien movies, it seems like that the xenomorphs are tied to some kind of dollar value, right? Where it's always about bringing them back for right. Wayland Corp or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> and absolutely. I, I think that's got to fit in somewhere too. Totally. Yeah, they, they, they are a metaphor in, in that way. I get it. Um Category number five, Rampage Points. Are you familiar, uh, Craig, with the uh, N64 game or the cabinet game Rampage? 
You mean where you you become a monster and beat the heck out of buildings? <laughs> yes, exactly. Totally. Uh, so uh, the monsters are the aliens of this movie. How much damage do they do? And we we do this uh, relative to basically where where the movie takes place. I mean, unless it's a movie where like it, oh, the, you know, movie, so it's like a ten. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they 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 really screw up this colony, huh? Yeah, this bull can rage. <laughs> oh, the man, these. I mean, I think yeah, the the. The, you know, maybe you'd have to say nine because it's not quite apocalyptic because a lot of things are left intact. Uh, but but I mean, when you set foot on the planet in, in the beginning of the movie, you're like you're like Nick Cage and Wild at Heart at the beginning. You're like, uh oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's just like I love how it's also kind of like raining and stuff like that. But yeah, it, it's totally beat to shit. Adam, what, what do you give it out of 10? Well, what, what are the parameters of this question? Because, you know, by the end, you know, Ripley and them blow up the whole thing. So are we gonna well, count that? Uh, do we count? You mean do we count the damage they do? Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, no. <laughs> okay. Because, because no. The, uh, I guess no. I guess the question is just rampage points? Question mark. So, yeah. so yeah, yeah. When they uh, yeah. take off and nuke it from orbit, because it's the only way to be sure. Uh, that's that's a lot of damage. <laughs> I love that. Sure. That's a flirting line, by the way. That that's yeah. the only way to be sure. That's. Um, but yeah. yeah, I think um, I'll give it a ten. Ten. All right, I'm giving it an eight. I think they do a lot of damage, but it's not quite the classic uh, version of Rampage damage that we think of. Uh, okay, bonus category. Um, how big slash scary are the aliens in this movie? Uh, yeah, I mean, my, my gut goes to ten because I think it's one of the greatest movies of all time. Yeah, uh, Adam, I'll skip you here. Um, if we're if we're just talking if we're if we're talking about how scary the aliens, the xenomorphs are in the alien movies, I mean, there's there's not much scarier. And plus, if we're if we're going out for the the big angle of this question, the the queen alien is is massive, like mm-hmm. huge, huge, huge. So ten for me. Uh, Maya, yeah, go for it, Adam. And then I, have uh, uh, I was just gonna say, uh, I'm gonna give it an eight because I think they're super scary, but also kind of cute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, of course. <laughs> great uh the the um yeah my so my um stepdad who was a second father to me henry uh he hated horror movies and my mom kind of maliciously would take him to go see them knowing that he didn't like them so she took him to go see aliens and there's a famous story in our family i remember from 86 87 when i was like nine and ten they came back and the scene where you see the aliens crawling like they look into the shaft and there are five of them just coming up my mom was like, and your stepfather nearly had a heart attack. Uh-huh. And Henry was like, I don't, I don't want to ever see a movie like that again. I don't know why I was dragged to that movie. And so I would just say the scary factor, if you were judging by Henry's reaction, was, was a 14. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's an easy 10 for me. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's go through <laughs> Henry factor. That, that should have been a that should have been a category. Um, so, Craig, you have given the film out of it a possible 50, uh, 43 points. How do you feel about that score? Oh, man, I feel like it should have 47 <laughs> at least. Well, but let, let's be um, let's be clear here. The uh, categories are... Oh, we're creature not... feature. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. They... Creature feature score, that's fair. Because I think, I think this is a creature feature, but, but you have to make the accepting jump that an alien in sci-fi is a, a creature... And I could understand purists being like, no, we're just talking about bears and sharks and bees and spiders and snakes. Yeah, that's why we call the list or the categories we have completely arbitrary because sometimes they don't quite add up. But uh, Adam, you have given it the highest score of the three of us. You've given it 46. How do you feel about that? I'm happy with that. I feel like this is uh, true. I, I, You know, to the haters out there, 
I would say this is a creature feature baby. Oh, absolutely, 100%. And, and somehow, weirdly, I've given it the lowest score at 38. Like, not even that great of a score, but it's because of the how dumb slash silly are the human characters, how sympathetic is the monster, how strong of a metaphor. Those do not help this movie in any way. But somehow, it got through it. It scored 127 points, which puts it number two overall in our Creature Feature series, just Ooh. behind Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, so, yes. another sci-fi. Yeah, <laughs> so we're going to be, uh, and it's certainly a, a musical over anything, really, <laughs> but uh, we, we accepted it. Um, yeah, awesome showing here from Aliens. It's going to be a strong contender for uh, the Silver Ghosty Award for Best Picture, definitely, uh, in this in this category. Uh, Craig, at the end of every series, what we do is we go through and we give awards to the movies we watched, and the awards are actually named after our guests. So, for example... We have the uh, Trevor Dillon Award. I know I'm not a guest, one of the hosts, but we have the Trevor Dillon Award for Chonkiest Monster. We have the Adam Cervantes Wagner Award for Tastiest Treat. Going through uh, Miguel Rodriguez from Horrible Imagining Film Festival, the Miguel Rodriguez Award for Real World Allegory. Do you have an idea of what we would be giving away for your namesake award? Uh, the Craig Hamill Award for what? Oh, no, got it, got it. I, I think I'm going to try to th think of it in the context of Aliens, though. Yeah, I mean, go, um, go for the gold. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I would, I would, I'm honored, I'm humbled. I feel this is a great responsibility. Um, <laughs> I, I personally don't want anything named after me, but this is, but you set up the rules of the game, so, yeah. so there we go. The rules um, of the game. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Renoir reference and aliens. Boom. Yeah. We won. Let's end the podcast there. <laughs> um, the, uh, and you don't mean I, the episode, you mean, you mean we should end the podcast. <laughs> Ghost, oh, Party, Ghost Party Radio is done. <laughs> I'm ripping the cords with an axe. Um, the, I would say for Aliens Creature Feature Award, I would love an award to the best – man, this is tough. But I would say the best way of weaving the creature into the genre. And I would just say that the weaving of these into action-adventure sci-fi is some of the best I've ever seen. I love it. Yeah, the best, I love that. The best weaving of the creature – or of the – Wait, the best, the best creature weaving... weave. <laughs> yeah, the best of taking the creature, like basically yeah. the creature into the genre and yes. then producing the cinematic narrative. I think I think Aliens gets gets best picture. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I think I think Little Shop we were just talking about it does a good job by taking a musical and putting a creature into the musical. But hey, there's going to be some contenders in this series for sure. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's an Audrey, Oscar Yeah, Audrey might beat out the aliens for sure. Audrey's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think those two movies are going to be vying for our best – our, um, our uh, train arrives at the station uh, award for best picture. All right. Um, so, yeah, Craig, thank you so much for being on the show. That's it. That was, uh, that was painless. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Trevor. It was, it was, it was an honor. And, and, you know, thank you guys for everything that you're doing at the Frida. And thank you for being so supportive of film and the community. That's the way we got to be. It should be. And uh, and it's an honor to be on the show. Uh, I would I would usually ask you to do plugs here, but um, we talked about it. Secret Movie Club. Um, I want to say that when we were talking during uh, this twelve hour, uh, you know, streamathon I did during the pandemic, I did three of them. Uh, I had an awesome thirty minute talk with you on that, and you kind of like a, I had a such a light bulb moment when you said something where you said, well, yeah, well, we take. You know, of course, you have the Secret Movie Club Club in downtown L.A. now, kind of your brick-and-mortar location that you're working out of. But, of course, you were out of the Vista. You, you travel around to movie palaces in L.A. and awesome venues. And you basically were like, well, cinema 
doesn't need to be defined by four walls or confined by four walls. Like any movie can work if you put it at any, you know, the venue that works for that movie. And I just, that like, like kind of blew my mind. <laughs> I was like, oh, that totally makes sense. That theming a movie to a location, just like, duh. You know, I, I had never thought about it. And I, I think you guys are literally the best in the game at that. So uh, again, thank you for being on the show. No, that's, that's, that's kind of you to say, Trevor. I, and, and I, you know, um, again, I, I don't like uh, I don't like praise-a-thons or anything. I, I think it's a bit obnoxious. I, so I, I hope that, that 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 when I respond, your audience doesn't hear it any other way than what I'm about to say. But um, for anybody who's in any endeavor, and and I think the audience would get this. I maybe you feel this. You know what keeps you going too is when someone pulls you aside and says, "I really appreciate what you're doing." And you can tell it's it's just it's they just they like literally they just pulled you aside to say it with that they just wanted to say it and they go on and, and you've done that and, and it means a lot to hear a peer like the Frida say we like what you're doing and, and you go, Well, I guess we're doing it okay if the Frida likes it. So thank you for the support. And uh, that's just at Secret Movie Club on Instagram and all that stuff. Oh yeah, and let me yeah, and so anybody wants to know what we do, um the easiest go to secretmovieclub.com. Um, there are, uh, you can go at secret movie club. Our Facebook is at secret movie club, three, five MM at secret movie club, 35 millimeter. And then we sell our tickets on Eventbrite. So the easiest thing to do, if you want to find out about our events is, uh, just type in secret movie club and Eventbrite and follow us. But we're, we're also building out a virtual community because cinema is people all around the world. So if you want to hear, uh, you know, read our movie writing or, uh, find out about our film festival or any of the things we're doing to engage everybody in film, go to secretmovieclub.com. Awesome. Uh, Adam, uh, big episode. You didn't blow it, buddy. Good job. Yeah, I'm going to award you now by letting you plug whatever you want to plug. Wow. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, check out my website, adamjcwagner.com. That's uh, where I post the stuff I make. Awesome. And I'm on Letterboxd at Captain Dills, where I keep a list of all the movies we've talked about on this podcast. I even rank them in their own, you know, genres. Personal at Trevor Dills on Instagram and Twitter. And always follow us at Ghost Party Picks on all their socials. Review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Smash that follow button on Spotify. And Adam, we're on Google Podcasts. People are listening to us through Google Podcasts. Um, that's, right. that's it. This is the show. We did it. We brought it in on time. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Ghost Party Radio. Adam, we have officially... Aliens. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Mm, that's a 10. <laughs>